There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Steve Molina and Colin Andrews. Steve, this is two weeks in a row for you. Yeah. It's yeah, a record. Yeah. Well, you know what, Colin? You might be seeing a lot more of me. Well, I hope so. Because last week we had a good discussion. We talked with Paul Eidelman, Director of Global Strategy with Russell Investments. And Paul shared with us his thoughts on inflation, interest rates, general market movements. So I'd encourage those who missed that episode to go back and listen to it. And we had Paul on the show because, Steve, Paul is an expert in his field. Yeah, I'd say so. So that brings us to our topic for this week, which is what makes someone an expert? How do you become an expert? And should we listen to all these so-called experts? And Steve, one of my favorite things is when somebody comes to me and tells me how the stock market works, even though they might work in a different field. I mean, they might have a good understanding, but there's no way, or there's, a, I guess, a small likelihood that they're an expert in the stock market if they work in a different field. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. An example of this is when we have clients whose accountants, and I'm not knocking accountants by any means, but they're advising them on how they should invest. And I say, listen, there's no way that we are going to complete somebody's tax return. We would tell people to go and use their accountant, right? Yeah, makes sense. So I always have a hard time understanding why it is that people in other fields feel like they should pose as experts in ours. I mean, it's kind of like when you have a health issue. What's the first thing people do when they have a health issue, Steve? Well, I think there's something on the web called WebMD. Yeah, they Google it. They Google their symptoms, and I've been guilty of this in the past. Have you ever done it? Colin, I actually have a great story for you. Okay. My wife at midnight told me, honey, I'm starting to have problems with my vision, and I started to Google it, and what came up was some pretty severe detrimental stuff to her health, and so what did I do? Yeah. I panicked. Next thing you know, I'm texting my friend who's a doctor and in yeah. that field. And he's telling me, just take it easy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is when you Google it, it always seems to lead to two things when it comes to health. One, you're having a heart attack. Or two, you have some major form of cancer. Of course. I mean, that's just what happens. And yikes, you could follow that, what you read online, or you could do what you did. Just go to a doctor and an expert in their field and maybe get a proper diagnosis. Yeah, like that optometrist that I texted. That's the word I was looking for. So Steve, tell us, what is an expert? Yeah, so Colin, what is an expert? Well, let's go to this World Wide Web. And an expert is someone who has a broad and deep competence in terms of knowledge, skill, and experience through practice and education in a particular field. Informally, an expert is someone widely recognized as a reliable source of technique or skill whose faculty for judging or deciding rightly, justly, or wisely is accorded authority and status by peers or the public in a specific, well-distinguished domain. Sounds pretty specific. An expert, more generally, is a person with extensive knowledge or ability based on research, 
experience or occupation and a particular area of study. Experts are called in advice for the respective subjects, but they do not always agree on the particulars of a field of study. An expert can be believed by virtue of credentials, training and education, profession, publication, or experience to have special knowledge of a subject beyond that of the average person, sufficient that others may officially and legally rely upon the individual's opinion on that topic. So this is kind of back to my comments about not knocking accountants by any means, but when an accountant is giving somebody investment advice, it's not in their field of expertise. Correct. So perhaps they should just focus on their field of expertise. And historically, if we go back, an expert was referred to as a sage. A sage, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Someone who was usually a profound thinker, distinguished for wisdom and sound judgment. So you're a sage. I'm a sage. In your field. In my field. Yeah, I would say so. Now, it's interesting to note the definition of expert isn't always necessary for individuals to have a professional or academic qualification. So maybe like just through experience? Yeah. So, for example, a shepherd. Shepherd tends to his flock, has maybe 50 years of experiencing working with his flock. He would be considered an expert in his field. We don't have any shepherds as clients. No, I don't, we don't have any shepherds, but, you know, I, I think the closest relationship would be, well, we have farmers. Actually, that's a good point. So my family farmed for two generations anyways, and they just kind of became experts from doing it for a long time. That's exactly to that point. So anyways, well, let's talk about what expertise is. So expertise characteristics, okay. so skills and knowledge of a person that is the expert or of a system which distinguish experts from novices and less experienced people. So this would be back to the, the shepherd example that I suppose after 50 years of leading that flock, they probably know what they're doing. In many domains, there are objective measures of performance capable of distinguishing experts from novices. So one of those fields would be like chess players, where expert chess players will almost always win against recreational chess players. I mean, like if you and I sat down at a chess board with a I don't know, expert chess player. Grandmaster? Yeah, it'd be over pretty quick. Like yeah. if you, three, four, five moves, you're done. <laughs> Could be expert medical specialists are more likely to diagnose a disease correctly. So back to your point of when we lay there in bed and, and all of a sudden, I don't know, your hand goes numb. It's like, oh crap, what's that? And then you self-diagnose and you go to the interweb and all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack or I have cancer or something. When really, I don't know, maybe you're just laying on a nerve or something, <laughs> right? So, so the word expertise is used to refer also to expert determination, where an expert is invited to decide a disputed issue. So the decision from that expert may be binding or it may be advisory according to the agreement between the parties in dispute. So I guess that would be more like a court of law type of thing. But there are academic and there are historical views on experts and expertise. So in academia, there are two academic approaches to the understanding and study of expertise. The first understands expertise as an emergent property of communities of practice. So what does that mean in English? <laughs> in this view, expertise is socially constructed. So they're tools for thinking and scripts for action and are jointly constructed within these social groups, enabling that group jointly to define and acquire expertise in some domain. In the second view, Expertise is a characteristic of individuals and is a consequence of the human capacity 
for extensive adaptation to physical and social environments. Because over time, Steve, we've had to adapt to various challenges. I would agree. After what? How many years have we been in this industry? Over 20 years? Yeah, a lot. Enough years to go through a few major market cycles. So even in this last example of March of 2020, when we went through the global economic shutdown and due to the coronavirus, I mean, we knew what to do because we went through a very similar market in 2008, 2009 with the global financial crisis. And it's just through that experience that we knew what to do. We didn't know what was going to happen specifically, but we knew what to do. So many accounts of the development of expertise emphasize that it comes about through long periods of deliberate practice. So that's just what we're talking about. So when you're working at a job for 20 plus years, putting in a lot of hours, it just, I don't know, it kind of comes to you. (laughs) (laughs) There is, however, recent research on expertise, which emphasizes the nurture side of the nature and nurture argument. So some factors not fitting that nature and nurture dichotomy are biological, but not genetic, such as starting age, handedness and season of birth. But we won't get into that today. We'll, no. just, we'll just say that, listen, if you're working in your field for 10 years or more, you probably have a bit more of an expert angle than somebody who's just starting. Correct. So what about the historical view, Steve? Keeping in line with the socially constructed view of expertise, expertise can also be understood as a form of power. So Experts have the ability to influence others as a result of their defined social status. By a similar token, a fear of experts can arise from a fear of an intellectual's elite power. So if we go back in history, a good example is simply being able to read, believe it or not, made someone part of that intellectual elite. Now this is going back quite a ways. Oh, but yeah, yeah, it's going back quite a ways. But we saw the introduction of the printing press in Europe, Back in the 15th century, that allowed and contributed to higher literacy rates. It allowed the subsequent spread of education and learning changed society. Probably for the better. Yep. So Plato's noble lie actually came up in, oh, yeah, what was that, the early 400? Well before you and I started well before, in this yeah. field. Yeah. So Plato was an Athenian philosopher, considered the founder of Western philosophy. And he came up with this noble lie that concerns a lot of experts. He believed that most people weren't clever enough to look at their own and society's best interests. So the few clever people of the world needed to lead essentially the rest of the flock. Therefore, the idea was born that only the elite should know the truth in its complete form. And the rulers must tell the people of the city the noble lie to keep them essentially passive and content and avoid the risk of upheaval and unrest. So in today's day and age, not going back to 400 AD, I guess it would be, we're talking about leaders. So these would be maybe political leaders or business leaders and how they have a responsibility to lead in their area of expertise. And that's really interesting because there was a former president who loved to downplay certain things such as... Oh, he was an expert in everything. Oh, yeah. Actually, this goes back to your point earlier you made about, I can't remember where it was, but basically, if you just pound the table hard enough and long enough, and you stick to a theme, at some point, you may be seen as an expert, even though you might not know what you're talking about. Yeah, and there's some real danger in that. So in today's society, so 
if we keep moving along this point, so in contemporary society, doctors and scientists would be considered experts in that body of knowledge that they own. And inaccessibility and even the mystery that surrounds that field does not cause the layman to disregard the opinion of experts on account of the unknown. Instead, the complete opposite occurs whereby members of the public believe in and highly value the opinion of medical professionals or scientific discoveries, despite not understanding it. Well, an example of this might be vaccinations. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand vaccinations, but I'm not supposed to. I mean, I just believe in the science and I follow it and therefore I'm vaccinated. (laughs) Right? Same here, Colin. Yeah. Let's talk about something called germane scale. So there was this woman, Marie Line Germain, and she developed a psychometric measure of perception of employee expertise called the generalized expertise measure, where she defined a behavioral dimension in experts. So it's a 16-item scale, which contains objective expertise items and subjective expertise items. So the objective items would be things like evidence-based items. So in our field, when we talk about investing, we often use the term evidence-based investing. Sure do. And that just means that we have evidence, historical evidence, academic evidence to support what we believe works. So various factors of return. Well, in germane scale, she talks about how it's relative to a specific field. An expert has things like specific education, training, and knowledge. They have required qualifications. They have the ability to assess importance in work-related situations. They have the capability to improve themselves. They have intuition. And they have self-assurance and confidence in their knowledge. That's called Germain's scale. Now, there are other subjective items that she also mentions that they have a knowledge specific to a field of work. They have been, let's see, ambitious about their work in the company that they are. They can assess things like how they're capable of improving themselves. They're charismatic. They're able to judge what things are important in their job and a few others. I won't go through all of them because it'd be kind of boring just to list out all 11 (laughs) items. But the point is that it's been called out. This area of how to become an expert is you kind of need those specific items. Well, and why would you want to become an expert? I don't know, Steve. Why would you? It has some key benefits for sure. And let's see, experts are more likely to be listened to and regarded for their skill. They know their skill set and their business better than most people. Instead of working to create a peer network, they're usually drawn into one. Experts can predict upcoming changes to the marketplace as they follow trends. Kind of like when we had Paul Eidelman on our show. I mean, we had him on there because he's an expert in economics. And if we're going to talk about predicting future market movements, we've got to talk with somebody who that's all they study. And I think it also leads into that peer network. We are all part of this peer network to get insight from other people, which helps draw our research and our own ideas from. Well, and actually, I think you have to be humble about that. Like you've got to be humble in understanding what it is that you understand and what it is that you don't. And you're never going to try to fake what you don't understand. Just go to the people that do. Some of the other reasons why you want to become an expert is people trust experts. People come to us because people see us as experts and they believe our opinion. People want to know or want to work with experts. They're motivated to learn from them. Most media rely on input or commentary from experts. We see that in our field all the time. I mean, that's why people are on things like BNN and 
other investing shows is because they're giving their insight. Correct. And I have to be honest with a lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff is opinion. Well, that's actually back to that point. In our field, you'll hear things like the bond bubble is about to burst. And somebody will say that for 10 or 12 or 14 straight years. And they'll be wrong for 10 or 12 or 14 years. But then in one year, it happens. Now they're seen as an expert because they've been calling for it for 14 years. But it means they're wrong for 13 years. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But they pounded the table long enough. So, or the other one is like a bear, like there's these perennial bear market people that always talk about how the stock market's going to correct and they're wrong until they're right. And then somebody will say, look, he called that or she called that bear market. Like, yeah, so what? They were wrong for 90% of the time and they got it right 10% of the time, but somebody will see them as an expert. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. No, that's fine. Experts seem to find each other and trade information they have a greater likelihood to make more money in their career. So that's a good motivator. Career opportunities seem to find experts as they're in demand for their knowledge or skill. Their intellectual property or intellectual capital can't be downplayed. If you are an expert in your field, then you're probably going to be rewarded more than if you were a novice in your field. Oh, absolutely. So obviously some amazing benefits that come with being an expert. Here are six specific things you can do to build your expertise, Colin. Oh, we're giving the game plan. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So for those of you who want it, here it is. Practice, practice, practice. Malcolm Gladwell, author of Outliers, suggests that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert at one task. So if we break that down, if you work a 40-hour week and you spend every moment at work practicing that specific task at which you want to gain expertise, and you work a 50-week per year, it only takes about five years to hit that 10,000-hour mark. If you think you're going to remain healthy and love what you do professionally, then five years really isn't that long, is it, Colin? Well, it's not. It goes by quickly. And actually, with that calculation, I was just doing some mental math. I mean, geez, we're 10, 20, 30, 40. I mean, I've got about 50,000 hours then. I hope I know what I'm talking about when it comes to stock market and investing after 50,000 hours. Well, and you know what? I think your clients, they'd agree with you. I hope so. It's better than going to the interweb and saying, how should I invest today? (laughs) So becoming an expert requires a sincere, genuine desire to do the work. If you aren't passionate about something, you won't become an expert at it. That was number one. Number two is redefine your network is the second, I guess, step. So there's a guy named Jim Ron. I don't know if I'm saying his name properly, R-O-H-N, but He's a personal development guru, and he says that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, which is kind of a scary thought. So if you think about who those five people are for you, if you want to up your professional game, I guess you'd need to surround yourself with people who elevate you because expertise is contagious. By spending time with people who are themselves experts in your field, you'll naturally catch some of their wisdom. So he says, listen, talk to them, ask them questions. Listen as they share their insights. Find ways to spend more time in their presence. And this is actually one of the areas where every year we go to various conferences. And there's a reason for that. We don't have to do that. But it sure elevates your game when you're in a room of academics and you get to listen to their insights on things like the capital asset pricing model or whatever. It just... I want to be around those five people. 
Number three is become a thought leader. So experts are never content with the status quo. They're always looking for the next evolution of their profession. So they're constantly trying new techniques, improving on existing concepts, exploring new ideas, and adding value. And they're always looking to push the boundaries and expand the limits of their field. Experts, Steve, are at the forefront, leading the way for the future of their profession. Where I see this in our industry is we've actually been asked to speak at many conferences because of some of the work that we do. And I've had people come up to me and say, this is great. So once you build it this way, then you can just sort of sit back and relax and it all just works, right? And my comments have always been, well, no, you have this completely wrong. You build it, but then you have to keep building it. You have to keep, I don't know, it's like a renovation. It's like a constant renovation. It's like you're renovating your house for your whole career. That's just our industry is constantly evolving, staying at the forefront, understanding what our clients' needs are and what the future looks like for them. Exactly. Because it is changing all the time. I mean, things like even with this upcoming election, they're talking about, Will the capital gains inclusion rate change? Will certain tax benefits be changed? I mean, it's a constant. The only thing constant is change. That's a quote. I can't remember from who, but it's a very old quote. It's a good one. Number four, share your knowledge. So experts become more valuable by sharing their skills and knowledge. They always want to be a service to their professional community. And if you want to be seen as an expert, put your expertise out there for all to benefit from. Do not be afraid of being judged. Put your thoughts and ideas based on your expertise out there. A few ways you can share your knowledge is to train others. Try and speak at a small event or a conference in your local city. But remember, it's not about you. You have to be seen as someone who confidently shares information and expects nothing in return. So this is a big one to me. I've always talked about how we need to work to elevate the experience in our community, whether it be for advisors or the end clients, that we need to work as a community to improve how people invest and how they're investing. I agree with you because the reality is we can't look after everyone. There are far too many people, far too many needs out there. And the more we can mentor other advisors or other people in this industry to do the right thing for their clients, the better we'll all be. Yeah, let's raise the bar collectively. All right, what's the next one, Steve? Number five. Number five. So rigorously follow trends. So every field undergoes change, some more rapidly than others. Experts always stay at the forefront. So that's what we talked about. They explore new trends to understand where their industry is headed. This provides the expert with foresight. While others are unaware of the shifting waves of progress, experts can connect the dots more easily to take advantage of change. The easiest way to stay abreast of trends is to set up a specific Google alert Oh, wait, wait. Are we recommending Google? No, we're not recommending Google, but... Wait, wait. Well, we are. We're recommending Google for a search engine, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Just We're just not recommending the stock. Just not recommending okay. the stock. Okay. Sorry. No. Go on. But you can also use... There's trend blogs out there. Commit to reading more. Read industry analyst reports. We get these on a regular basis. And like you mentioned, Colin, we attend conferences regularly. Number six, never stop learning. Okay. Never. I want to repeat that. Never stop learning. Lifelong learning. And in our industry, we have continuing education requirements that are required every couple of years. So we have to satisfy so many credits and that makes sure that we are constantly learning in our industry. So you would think at some point experts have learned everything they could learn. Wrong. 
Experts never stop learning. As a matter of fact, most people, once they become an expert, commit to learning more. You see, once we're an expert, we begin to enjoy the benefits of being an expert. You stay as an expert. So experts read more, continue to educate themselves through courses and workshops, gather knowledge from other experts and so on. Well, I want to talk about that for a minute. So I haven't shared this with you, but I'll share it with you right now. Sure. I just signed up to do the SEMA designation, the Certified Investment Management Analyst designation. Wonderful. Uh, Yeah, it's a program being offered through the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And it's one of those things that when I was talking to my wife about it, it's like, I don't need to do this, but I want to. I think it would be really cool to study at the University of Chicago for a short period of time. There's some great knowledge influencers there. I think there's like eight Nobel laureates have come out of the University of Chicago, things like that. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome, Colin. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess if you're going to do something professionally in life, like be a great programmer, marketer, accountant, lawyer, you might as well try and become an expert because the benefits are amazing and it's just good for your overall being. And it's a great way to give back, as we talked about. Raising that collective bar of knowledge within the community can't be downplayed. Well, that was kind of a fun conversation. Hopefully not too, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but I've lost my expert words. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, it was a fun conversation. Steve, thanks for coming on the show again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Colin, for having me. My pleasure. And listen, for all the listeners out there, please do us a favor. Give us a rating on whatever podcast downloads you're using. I know Apple Podcasts, you're able to easily send a rating. Send us some feedback on how these shows are going. If you enjoy them, if you don't, that's okay too. Stop listening if you don't enjoy them. But if you do enjoy them, send us some feedback. And in that feedback, maybe include some topics that you'd be interested in having us address in some future episodes. Sound good? Sounds great. Thanks again. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2021.